Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. That was funny. Thank you. That's cool. Ooh. So I was in a uh, church years ago, and uh, in the back of the stage, back wall, there were the words, God is love. Very, very large. I remember being up in the balcony back toward the back, and the, the one thing that was clear to me were these words, God is love. But I didn't feel love that morning. I didn't feel much of anything. I certainly didn't feel love. And it brings out that reality that though we read about a God of love in the Bible, we understand that we have a God who's not vengeful or mean or nasty. He's not out to snuff us out at every turn. He, he, he embraces us. He gave his son to die for us so that we could have forgiveness and be with him. But to feel that, to comprehend it isn't easy if we haven't for example, had a lot of love come our way in life, we're not able to project that onto God and say, okay, I understand God's love. And so there's a struggle there for some of us. And for those who haven't had much love, it's a real struggle. People who've been hurt, abused, and they, they come along and say, hey, God uh, really loves you. And they're thinking, well, I, I don't feel loved by anybody. And so it's a, it's a struggle. And I, I want to look at that a little bit more this morning would you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 4? 1 John uh, chapter 4. And if you'll just stay there, we're going to bounce in and out of that chapter uh, this morning. This, uh, this letter, about three or four from, from the end where Revelation is. So it's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, Revelation. The, uh, the disciple, John, wrote this along with the book of John. 2nd and 3rd John, and Revelation. So he wrote quite a chunk of the New Testament. And we're going to see John talking about love, and it's from somebody who had been with Jesus. So as we sit at his feet and study this this morning, we're going to be able to learn something uh, about love, and we're going to be able to get a perspective that we couldn't otherwise. 1st John 4, starting in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then down in verse 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. The strong statement that God is love, that all that he does is, all that he does is love. As he reaches into your life, he cares about you, he values you, he wants the best for you. That's, that's what love is. That's how it works. And I've learned that when we give and receive love, life works and we, we thrive in that environment. Uh, because if God is love, and he set this whole thing up. He designed all this, put it into, into action. And if he's, if he's love, then when we love, it works. And when we don't love, it doesn't work. 
And so this makes sense of the first and second commandments. Uh, to love God and love people, well, of course that would be a commandment, not so much because it's just something God thought of one day, but because this is the key that makes life work. It's the key, really, to happiness. When we give love and receive love, a lot of life's problems fall into place. Isn't that true? Isn't that really true? But this thing of feeling love, it doesn't come automatic. I uh, grew up in a good home. I had two sisters. My mom and dad loved us. But I didn't always feel that love. When I hit junior high, for example, I tended to listen to my peers more than I listened to my parents. And my peers were pretty hard on me, as it is in junior high. And for some reason, I didn't just throw it off. For some reason, I embraced some of the insults and put-downs that came my way. Uh, I, I wanted to be athletic because that's how you get to be in the in crowd. But for some reason, my eye-hand coordination didn't work. I didn't know there were some people who have more eye-hand coordination than others. If you throw me a ball right now, even a large ball, I'm guaranteed to drop it at least two out of three times. I just don't, I don't catch uh, balls very well. My basketball, I'm terrible even though I'm tall. Uh, uh, baseball, that's trying to hit a little tiny ball with a stick. That's just ridiculous. And on the list goes, but I, I took this real hard. For some reason, I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't overcome my lack of athletic ability, compared myself heavily with the other guys, and somehow felt I was just no good. I just wasn't enough. Felt very rejected. I embraced the put-downs that came my way. I could believe those, but I couldn't believe that I was a great guy. And then in the looks department, I was not what you would call a model. I had red hair and that very white complexion along with usually at least a dozen pimples that wouldn't tan. I, I couldn't get a tan. The only thing that happens for a, a redhead like that is you go out in the sun and get burnt. And so I come back pink but not tanned. And so I said, oh man. And those, that was very important to me because all the good looking guys had tans. And the girls went after the guys with tans. Now, I didn't even know that some of them were Hispanic and that they didn't even have a choice. <laughs> I just thought that there was something wrong with me. Uh, and and I, I just, I, I, I didn't relate real well with the ladies or with the guys, kind of an introvert. I know that surprises you, but I'm, I'm pretty introvert at times. I came through this feeling a bit rejected. Now, my mom was a great mom, but sometimes moms are moms, and you don't feel the love. Uh, my mom had a lot of fear. She got that from her side, of the, from her family. And so it was kind of, now make sure you wear that coat and, and take that scarf and so on. And this is the middle of the summer. This is, you know, just fear. Just, you know, I just... I didn't like that. And, and then my dad, he was born with a cleft palate. Uh, they were able to do some surgery, and so he was able to speak. He was able to communicate, but always had a heavy stutter and was hard to understand. And so his way of dealing with that 
was not to talk very much. He had four brothers. They did all the talking. And I think that they made a lot of fun of him. I think his friends made a lot of fun, or not friends, made a lot of fun of him. And in the end, he kind of was kind of quiet and introvert. Didn't say much. My dad was there, but he didn't communicate much. And so I didn't learn how to overcome some of the stuff that was coming my way. I didn't learn how to be a man in a, in a world that uh, put men down. And on the list goes, I didn't really feel loved. I came out of high school not just with a low self-esteem, but really not liking myself. And it's funny, isn't it, that sometimes we have good qualities. Uh, I was a bit relational and uh, somewhat intelligent, though there are those who differ with me on that. But but it's funny, we, we look at at the things that we're not so good at, and we say, well, I, I'm just no good. I, I'm, just, I'm just nobody. And it took a long, a long time uh, to even get some kind of self-esteem. I just felt rejected. And what I've learned is that in the absence of love, life malfunctions. We, we fail. It just doesn't work. For example, Proverbs 10, 12 Hate stirs up trouble. The lack of love stirs up trouble. It it causes malfunction. Love's the opposite of hate. Hate only causes trouble. In the other versions, it says that hate causes conflict. Hate causes strife. When we feel rejected, when we feel devalued, because of the way we're built, we want to do something about that. And so we begin to search for love because we, in our essential core self, want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to be valued. It's the way we were made. Nobody likes to feel hated or to feel rejected. Those feelings of loneliness, nobody likes me, are horrible feelings. And so we go on a journey to find love. First, we look for our family, uh, to our family, and Sometimes the love just isn't there. I, I had a friend whose mom did not know how to love him. She had her own set of problems, and he couldn't get love from his mom. But he demanded love from his mom because that's, that's what he wanted. And so he ended up quite a shipwreck because the love just didn't happen. I think we first look at our fam- to our family, and then we look to significant others in our lives. But sometimes they fail us or let us down. And so sometimes the journey to find love is very difficult for us. And what happens then is we start to look for love in wrong ways. The, one of the definitions for love is getting legitimate needs met in illegitimate ways. Did I say that right? One of the definitions for sin. And so often we fulfill the legitimate need for love in illegitimate ways. And and really this is a definition for sin. And so, for example, a young girl in high school, she doesn't feel loved. She'll give her body to a couple of the guys in, in in the football team because she wants to somehow feel loved. So she, sex outside of marriage. Another thing that I've seen 
pornography, where we, guys or people will imagine somebody loving them. Uh, sometimes we fulfill the need for love by alcohol or drugs or substance uh, in excess uh, to, to escape that lack of love. For some, tons of entertainment, sports, games, food, gambling in excess uh, are, are embraced to fill, to fill that emptiness. Sometimes people will try to control others to get the love that they want. Uh, they'll try to get people to do things in a certain way, and then they'll, they'll feel valued or accepted. Sometimes people give in to anger or hatred or bitterness or revenge because that will satisfy somehow that sense of injustice because there hasn't been a lack, there hasn't been enough love. Sometimes people without uh, love resort to fear. Uh, There's the insecurity that comes from uh, a need for love results in just abandoning and stepping back in fear. Certain kinds of depression are used to fulfill that need for love. There's a sense of giving up, surrender, uh, rather than trying to get hold of life because we just don't feel loved. And in your message notes, you'll see a blank line there where there's place for you to write some of the other things that we embrace because of a lack of love that are uh, illegitimate. So what do we do? How do we get hold of this love that we so long for? How do we feel, and that's the word, how do we feel loved? How do we find ways to feel loved if we don't, if we missed out on some love somewhere along the way? And God has set in place the church so that we could get family love from kind of an extended family. And so God provides us the needed family-like love, especially through small groups in the church, because we learn love from one another. For example, look at verse 11 there in, in 1 John 4. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. John wrote this. I hope he learned love from his family, but he certainly learned love by being with these other guys who were following Jesus, and he certainly learned love by watching Jesus and being with him. He was one of the inner three, remember? Peter, James, and John. But it was in this small group where he learned love that he could write about like we read here. He learned to receive love and he learned to give love. Look down at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. I do find it annoying at times that God is invisible. Are you with me here? I would like to see him from time to time. 
So I have a, a little struggle with this faith thing. But because he's invisible, we're going to have to learn what God feels like from one another. And in that way, it becomes tangible, becomes something that we know. One of my favorite works by Dr. Seuss is the Lorax. It, it's, uh, uh, it, it's excellent. And the Onesler explains, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. In verse 20 and 21 here, John refers to God's people as brother and sister. And of course, God is referred to as, as father. It's the, it's the primary metaphor for the church. A lot of times we speak of one of the other metaphors, body of Christ, to talk about the church. Paul used that. Every part of the body is significant and we're all working together to continue Jesus' ministry. But the one that you read about the most is brother and sister and God the Father. And there's a reason for that. We desperately need the extended family that happens in the church. Some of us more than others. But we need this extended family. I love 1 Timothy 3.15. I want you to know how people who are members of God's family must live. God's family is the church. And in these family-like groups that we have around the church, we call them small groups, life groups. In these family-like groups, we learn love. We learn what it is to feel valued. We, we learn how to give value to people. We, we learn how to talk to them in ways that, that they feel listened to. We learn how to care. Uh, we learn how to lift people up when they're down. The second small group that I went to changed my life forever. The, the couple who led this group, kind of a home church, embraced me uh, like I really had never been embraced. They just kind of had a, a southern hospitality and a love that just kind of gushed. I remember being hugged a lot at first. And I had never really been hugged before by strangers. And this was something very alarming to me. And I kind of thought, what's going on here? But after a couple of weeks of being hugged, I kind of thought, hmm, I can get used to this. You know, and you kind of come, come on, bring it on now, bring it on. You know, you come and you feel cared about, you feel valued. And I remember them asking questions about my present, about my future. And they really cared. They asked me what God was saying to me as though they really wanted to know what God was saying to me. They released me into some of the, my gifts as a, as a guy who's walking with God. We, we all have gifts, and I had a gift of teaching, it seemed. So they let me teach the book of Romans, and I felt so valued. Can I just tell you, that had to have been the most horrible teaching on the book of Romans ever. I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what I was doing, but they had a way of making me feel loved and valued and said, Dave, great job. I got launched. I got launched into life. I got launched into ministry because they cared about me. They carried my socks off. We need that. I have socks on this morning. We, we, need, we need 
these extended family opportunities so that we can learn love and relearn love. One of the high points of Fellowship of the Ring is when Frodo decides to get into the boat and take off alone on his journey with the ring and leave Samwise behind. Samwise won't have anything to, of this, and he jumps in the river to catch up with Frodo because he, he's not going to be left behind. The thing is, he doesn't know how to swim. And so it's a dramatic moment, really one of the high points of the movie when, Sam, when Frodo reaches out and, and saves Samwise from drowning. Samwise gets into the boat and Samwise says to Frodo, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo. A promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Ganji. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. It just, that's, that's what we learn from one another. That's what we learn from friends who stick with us. That's what we learn from family who sticks with us. And the fact is we really are better together. Now, some people have said that the real core issue in our lives is fear. The problem we have is fear. And if we'll just get over fear, we'll, we'll be able to flourish. We'll be able to thrive. And it is true that fear really shuts us down, shuts our courage down, shuts down our ability to move forward. But it's my contention that fear comes because of a lack of love. We have that sense of insecurity. And so fear is the result. And for example, in 1 John 4, same chapter where we are, verse 18, there is no fear in love, perfect love, drives out all fear. What we learn here is that fear is a result of a lack of love. It's just one more reason why we need to make sure that we're giving love away and receiving love. And then in that place of security, we can move forward. Last week, we learned that our church's primary mission is to make disciples, to train up followers of Jesus uh, we saw that a disciple, uh, which is another word for apprentice or intern, uh, something of a student, learns and also changes. And we saw that discipleship is a journey marked by greater love for God and greater love for others. And again, it encompasses that first and second commandment, that we love God and that we love people. A disciple learns how to love God and learns how to love people. But you've got to know God's love somewhere along the way. And this happens best in family-like small groups. Disciples are best made in small groups. Karen and I just completed the Genesis process, one of the small groups here in our church. It's actually a larger group that breaks into small groups. Um, the next one starts... Um, March 9th, and uh, I recommend it to you. So here I am with, with five guys besides myself, and they care about me. They ask me questions. They want to know how my week was. They want to know how I did with my goals for the week as I deal with some of the deeper things in my life. 
And I still sometimes feel some rejection. I still sometimes feel some loneliness. You say, Dave, how can, you're a pastor, you know, get over it. But you know, some of these things that are deep in us, it takes a while to get healed, doesn't it? In fact, I thought I'd be all healed up by the time I got to my age. And in fact, I'm still working with stuff. And then once you get something fixed and healed up, somebody comes along and slashes it and dumps it and burns it and you got to start over again. Isn't that true? The pendulum does swing. Life can be hard. And we really do need each other. And so here I am with these five guys asking me questions, pressing into my life, and I'm feeling loved. I'm feeling cared about. And I'm able to work through some rejection, some other things that are going on in my life in a place of confidence and security and care. It was a great experience. I learned to overcome a few things. And I recommend to you some kind of group where you can grow, where you can engage, where you can have some goals, where you can do what God's calling you to do and have the help that you need from others. So in a practical way, what's next? What do we do? How can we pull this off? How can we get into a small group? What, what, what do we do? Because I like, I like messages that are practical. I want God to tell me what to do. And in this case, the next step, get into a small group. Uh, we have a number of existing life groups going on here. And I, I recommend them to you. Uh, our church is all about small groups because we're all about making disciples, training up people, m- making change. And at this church, just for you to know, we talked about this a little bit last week, we call all the groups life groups. There was a time when we had home links, which were kind of the focal point of disciple making, and then a bunch of other seminars and classes and studies and retreats and so on. And we said, well, are they not making disciples? Is it only the home links making disciples? And we realized that each of these parts of the church, each of these small groups is a part of the discipleship journey. And so, for example, financial peace is coming up in about a month from now. It's it's an opportunity to get your finances in order to figure out how to do money. And uh, is that not a part of discipleship? Well, it sure is. And you get cared about along the way. And so we call them all life groups because it's new life and, you know, because I'm simple. So we just keep it simple. They're all, they're all uh, life groups. And another thing we felt is not to control these groups. And so they don't all do the same thing. They don't all meet at the same time. We're releasing facilitators to do what they sense God is leading them to do. And we support and encourage them. And we provide training. And all kinds of things are happening happening all over the place. And it's actually quite exciting. We've developed some tools to make it easy for you. There's a pamphlet um, that you can see here uh, just called Life Groups. And it has a list of the recovery groups, the men's groups, the women's groups, all the other groups, some days of the week. And uh, there's a whole bunch of different things going on. And you can... Take a look at this. Anytime you're here, that's always at the small group table at the information uh, booth. And then it's always online. And so anytime you have a question, just go online and help your friends to go online and find out about what's going on. It's so easy. It's the same as this, except always more updated because it's faster to update online. 
And so those, those are resources that are there for you. We've got uh, Finding Our Identity in Christ starting this Monday, uh, Genesis Process starting a week from Monday, uh, You and Me Forever, Leading Your Family to Live Sideways uh, with Tim and April Lesher uh, a week from Wednesday, and then a month from now, Financial Peace University, just to give you a couple of examples of what's going on. What you see is that these small groups are not some program of the church, like a youth program or children's program or something. It's the life of our church, and it's, it's here to stay. We, we are a church of small groups, and we gather together as small group people on our weekend services. It's who we are. It's our church's identity. Um, and what we always encourage people to do is just to go find a group and try it out, Try out two or three, and then stick with one. And by the way, we don't have these groups that have a lifetime commitment. We, we're on a trimester basis, and so people can try out a group for a few months and say, oh, man, this, this really fits. Or on the other hand, hmm, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is really the group for me. And so at the end of the trimester, they can make a switch to another group, and people will find their way. And everyone's at a different place on their discipleship journey. So we just want to be open to let people move and go where they need to go. And we just want to encourage them in that. Uh, another thing that we want to do is start more groups. And this, uh, this is a real need. We've got groups that just have started and their living rooms are full. And uh, one of the people that has encouraged me is Pat Phyllis. And so, Pat, would you uh, kind of stand on up here and give us a hand? Kind of come on over this way, Pat. And uh, you're fine. There's nothing you're not going to. And uh, Pat's one of my favorite people. And she, she's been blind for. I, yeah, you have a lot of friends. Pat's been blind for, for quite a few years. And, you know, oh, by the way, Pat, I, you've never seen me. And I just want you to know I'm a really good looking guy. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, I'm sure you are. Yeah. Remember, I have to look from the heart. And I, so I know you are. You're awesome. <laughs> Pat and your husband, your husband Art, um, he's at the men's retreat this weekend. You are hosting a group on uh, a group in the winter. You you host a group in the winter, and then in the summer you started a group. And tell, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, when Art and I moved here about nine years ago, we, you know because of the size of our church, knew that there was no way we could really get acquainted if we only came to weekend services. So we decided we would join as many small groups as as we could so that we would get to know the people better. At that point, Art was traveling a lot, and because we discontinued so many of our studies and stuff during the summer, I thought, oh, three long months without much fellowship was not, because I love people, and that did not sound good. So when Annette announced on Tuesday morning that she was encouraging some of the women to start a summer program of whatever kind they wanted to. I thought, oh, this is it for me. So six years ago, I decided to do a book club. And, oh, that was one of the most wonderful decisions of my life. Oh, that's beautiful. It's been going on now, like I say, a lot of them are the same group, but we add a few. And, you know, as close as we've gotten, it could become a clique. But (laughs) our summer study, we say our motto is, there's always room for one more. Mm. And so we started about 10 people the first year. 
Last year I had 30 people signed up, so we had to, well, we don't call it dividing. Dave doesn't like the word divide, so we multiplied into two groups, and we just let them choose whether they want a Tuesday or Wednesday meeting. So you started two groups. Well, it's exactly the same. They just yeah. come either day because yeah. my living room wouldn't fit 30 people. <laughs> but we have, we've become so close. It's a safe place. We can share our problems or joys or whatever. And now when one of our girls gets sick, you know, there's somebody to take dinner to them. There's somebody to give them a ride if they need to go to the doctor. They call me or email me if I if they have a prayer request. I send it out to all our girls. And they just, we've become sister. Our last three studies have been the sister chicks. So we are now, we call ourselves the sister chicks. Oh, that's kind of scary. <laughs> but one of the neat things that we're doing now, one of our, of our girls has terminal cancer. Mm. And so she's not... Her immune system is so low that she can't go out into crowds. And so, but she really wanted to do a study on, on heaven. And so she has invited a couple of the group to come in and do a study with her in her home. And so that we have to work around her many, many doctor appointments. But it's, it's just one of the ways that our mm -hmm. group has formed a bond to each other. And it's just so neat. And the thing is, it's so simple. You know, we find a book. Everybody gets the same copy. I tell them which chapters we're doing next week. We all read, then we come back and discuss, you know, what we got out of that, those chapters. And now I know because of some facilities, you cannot have an unlimited amount because our Sunday group, because of where we meet most of the time, we're limited. And we've had to, people have called and said, can we join your group? And I've had to say no. And I hate that. It's mm -hmm. so horrible. But so, you know, it depends on what you're dimensions and stuff are, but that's what's neat about the groups. They are custom made. Yeah. And so, now I could just go on and talk forever. I'm so enthused about <laughs> but I'm limited on time. So I would uh, just say please pray and whether you're the facilitator or, or the just the people that, I don't mean just, or the people that come, it is so worthwhile and yeah. you will love it. So Thank you. Pray about it. Yeah, Pat, we just appreciate you. And by the way, Pat doesn't get to see herself in the mirror, but is she an amazingly beautiful woman? Isn't she something? Thank you. Um, we are short on facilitators, so there's some training in April. And you'll find out more about that in the bulletin. Just be looking forward to that. And then a third thing, uh, help other people get involved in a small group. Always be thinking as we're gathering before and after the services and during the services for the greeting time and when there's a pancake breakfast and all these things, hey, how are you doing in your small group? Is, you know, how can we encourage you to find a small group or invite them to yours or whatever it is? If it gets to be too many people, bust out a wall or find a way to start another one. And uh, so these are exciting times. Would you stand, stand with me, please? And uh, we want to pray. Worship team's going to come forward. and We're just going to really give ourselves to worship. Uh, it's in worship so often that we're, we encounter a God of love. Lord God, forgive us where we have been slow to receive the love that is around us. Sometimes we want it our way, and sometimes you bring us love in another way. And God, we want to be open to your love. We want to know more what you're really like and how much you embrace us, how much you value us. And it's just so difficult for us to understand that you would give your own son so that we could have forgiveness for free take our place in penalty. Thank you, God. And we receive that forgiveness. 
We look forward to what you're going to do in our lives. We ask you for more groups. We ask you for more facilitators, <laughs> more disciples, that we could change our world in a greater way, impacting the community here and beyond, loving people in ways that they need to be loved. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. You're free to stay standing for worship. You're, you're also, if you, if you feel like the, the need, you could sit. And let's just really give ourselves. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.